Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick, and we're back with part two of our series about the legendary Irish hero, Finn McCool. If you haven't heard part one, you should go back and listen to that one first. This one will make a lot more sense if you do. But at the end of the last episode, we promised you that this episode would be the one that's all thumb. Because, uh, of (laughs) course, one of the great legends about Finn McCool is the so-called thumb of knowledge. We teased it a few times in in the previous episode, but, but now we're finally here. We're finally to the thumb factory. That's right. Uh, Finn is not merely a warrior and a hunter and a a defender of his people. He also has the gift of divination. Uh, His uh, prescience puts him in keeping with the likes of Paul Atreides, uh, but he doesn't take spice or enter a um, a prana bindu trance in order to see the future, uh, or as it's sometimes described, to gain wisdom. Instead, he puts his thumb in his mouth. It's the most heroic thing I can picture. I mean, imagine the, the movie poster. It's like your, your action movie hero. They've got the sword. Their hair is blowing in the wind. Maybe their armor is splattered with blood and mud. And also, he's just got his thumb in his mouth. <laughs> now, in the last part of the series, we referenced uh, a few works by a scholar named James McKillop, who has written extensively on Finn McCool and on uh, Irish myth and legend. For example, uh, I cited him when I was talking about the version of the giant's causeway story that involves uh that involves the the Ben and Donner giant the rival giant being replaced with one named Cuchulain which is mm-hmm. totally confusing because that's the name of a different Irish folk hero uh but this was also the version of the story where Finn McCool bites off the rival giant's finger when the giant is tricked into putting the finger into his mouth uh, but I think you were also reading something by James McKillop on the uh, on the origins of this thumb story, right? Yeah, yeah. According to McKillop, the the details on how the thumb is utilized vary according to the you know the different tellings. Sometimes it's described as a, a sucking of the thumb, much like an infant would would suck on a thumb or fingers. Other times it's described as a chewing of the thumb, mm. and sometimes it's specifically said that the thumb is placed behind the upper teeth. Uh, which I, I guess is something that is is more or less happening uh, with any kind of a you know, infantile sucking of the thumb, anyway. But uh, but they seem to make a, sometimes the point is made that it's like the thumb is coming into contact with the palate and pressing. All right. So as amusing as the image of an action hero sucking his thumb might be, uh, the the idea of a, an action hero biting his thumb that's pretty close. But that seems a little more uh, maybe on the money, especially when you take into account some historical considerations, because the idea of biting his thumb immediately made me think of the uh, the classically confusing scene from Shakespeare, the infamous, do you bite your thumb at us, sir? Uh, the scene <laughs> from Romeo and Juliet. Rob, do you remember coming across this in, in school and having no idea what to make of it? Uh, yes, I, I distinctly remember this, probably when we were watching uh, adap- an adaptation of it. Um, and uh, yeah, there's the whole scene with the, I bite my thumb at you. And uh, I remember everyone getting a, a real kick out of that. Yeah, it's like it's one of those where you know what it means, but you don't know what it means. Like you, you get the gist, but you don't understand what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, because so the the scene for anybody who hasn't read it, it's in Romeo and Juliet, Act One, Scene One, 
uh, we get uh, servants of the two rival houses, the Montagues and the Capulets. They run into each other in the street, and they're they're trying to stir things up. They're they're trying to to provoke a fight because they hate each other. And so a character from one house says, "Do you bite your thumb at us, sir?" And the guy from the other house says, "I do bite my thumb, sir." Uh, do you bite your thumb at us, sir? And then he, uh, the the guy who's biting his thumb, lead uh, leans aside to his friend and he says, "Is the law on our side if I say I?" And his friend says, "No, it is not." So he says, "No, sir, I do not bite my thumb at you, sir, but I bite my thumb, sir." So it's it's sort of like <laughs> I'm just punching the air, and if you happen to walk into the air that I'm punching, you know, so be it. Uh, he, I, I think the implication is that if he says outright that he is biting his thumb at the other guy then if a fight breaks out it'll be considered his fault because he provoked it so mm-hmm. he's just saying no i'm just biting my thumb in general all right makes sense makes sense it's kind of like if you're there's a, dif- there's a difference between flashing the middle finger and making a middle finger and scratching your face you have yes. plausible deniability and saying i oh, know i wasn't flipping you off i was i, I just my the side of my face itches and i needed to relieve it and my see my middle finger is my longest finger and therefore it is the ideal finger to use for scratching said nose right oh oh it's itching again oh here i go again <laughs> <laughs> oh now both sides are itching yeah <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that, that is clearly what's going on in the scene, but it is interesting to ponder, like, what is, what is the origin of this thumb biting thing? Because, uh, of course this was localized to specific cultures, but it's clear what it means in context. It, it seems to bite one's thumb at someone was a gesture of disrespect or contempt. It was kind of like giving the finger. It was, it was a way of saying you stink. Mm-hmm. And in trying to find something about the origins of this gesture, I found an excerpt from a book called How to Behave Badly in Elizabethan England by a British historian named Ruth Goodman. And uh, she writes as follows, quote, In modern Sicily, you can still see a form of this gesture in use. An upright thumb held so that the pad points outwards is tucked behind the top front teeth and then flicked forwards out of the mouth towards the intended insultee. Okay, so are you picturing that? It's not the thumb going straight into the mouth, as you might think with like Mm -hmm. uh, when a child is sucking their thumb. Instead, it's like the the thumb kind of goes upward into the mouth behind the top teeth, and then you kind of flick the thumb out, pad out. Yeah. Uh, But then Goodman also writes, I have also seen a version in action on the outskirts of Venice, although I don't know if it was a native Venetian performing it, where the pad of the thumb was placed horizontally between the top and bottom teeth in a bite and then flicked out, rotating as it went so that the bitten pad was thrust forwards. And so because of the, uh, the, the, the Finn McCool biting the thumb thing, I, I started to wonder if there were any interesting connections between this gesture we see in Shakespeare that appears to have mostly gone out of style today, though maybe you might still see it in, in isolated cases here or there, such as in Sicily or somewhere in Italy. But I'm going to have to say that for me, this investigation was a failure. I couldn't find any evidence of a connection between these two. Uh, story elements, though it did raise interesting questions on, on its own, like where would this type of thumb biting gesture come from? And uh, from what I turned up, like many obscene gestures, its origins are uh, unknown, but I did find a book that had some interesting informed guesses. And this was in an academic book called Historical Social Psychology uh, by Kenneth Gergen and Mary Gergen, published by Taylor and Francis 2014. 
And so, first of all, they dispense with a few alternatives. They say, well, the, you know, maybe the thumb biting uh, insult gesture has something to do with thumb sucking, but that doesn't really fit what's described in the Shakespearean usage. And they say the same goes for the act of biting the knuckle of your thumb, which is a gesture that sometimes people still use today, but it seems to suggest demean something different. Biting the knuckle of your thumb seems to uh, denote someone desperately trying to contain rage. Mm. And that also it also just doesn't fit what's described in these sources. So instead, they, they argue that the thumb biting described by Shakespeare is something that has generally fallen out of fashion today. It's mostly not used anymore. And that in order to understand it, we would need to look to the historical context. So what's the context? Well, I thought their answer was pretty interesting. They write, quote, the clue, it seems, is to be found in the fact that during the latter half of the 16th century, men were in the habit of wearing gloves, and these were usually removed prior to any confrontation, not unlike the present-day Irish habit of taking off one's jacket to show that one means business. In fact, the practice of removing and throwing down one's glove had become ritualized as a challenge long before Shakespeare's time, and it is common knowledge that medieval knights used this device to invite each other into the lists. It seems likely that the medieval convention, or some version of it, was still around in a stylized form during Shakespeare's time, but it had become abbreviated to the point where an intention movement of removing one's gloves would suffice. Hmm. So, how does an early modern hater remove a glove? Well, one way would be to remove it with the opposite hand, but another way would be to bite at one of the fingers of the glove with your teeth and then pull the hand away from inside. You've probably seen people take gloves off this way. The latter method, they claim, is well attested, and it was not unusual to remove a glove this way by, by biting the thumb and pulling the hand out. Though, when I was trying to imagine doing this myself to just sort of... Give it a quick uh, thought experiment check. I think you probably can do it, though. It seems to me it'd be easier to get uh, to get your hand out of the glove by biting one of the long fingers than by biting the thumb. But I'm no no glove expert. Well, this makes sense. Yeah, the gloves are off. This is the you know the the, the classic challenge. And I had to we had to check this with Seth, um, whose Simpsons knowledge uh, knows no bounds. Uh, but uh, on on the Simpsons, we had the episode where we had the the glove slap. Uh, where yeah. Homer is challenging everyone to a duel in town by slapping them with his glove, which he has removed. Right. So in this case, the authors suggest that their hypothesis is that over time, this familiar, highly salient activity of taking off a glove to demand a duel could be abbreviated to a simple gesture of uh, just biting your thumb to show scorn or disrespect whether or not you're actually wearing a glove. They do say they could find no direct evidence supporting this hypothesis, though it does fit well with the observation that the gesture mostly fell into disuse when dueling disappeared as a uh, legitimate way of settling beef. So anyway, I think interesting question on its own, but I, I couldn't really find that this much informs Finn McCool. Right, right. And I think that's one of the things that makes the, the thumb of knowledge here so fascinating is that it does to a certain extent feel like kind of an island in mythology. Like it's something that it's not like there's something universal about heroes um, biting or sucking their thumb or placing their thumb in their mouth. Uh, but, but we'll get into some of the connections that, that are in place uh, in a bit here.
The next question is, of course, well, why? What's the story? There's got to be a story. There's always a story behind uh, why something is the way it is in mythology. And the main origin story for the miraculous thumb of Finn McCool is the salmon of knowledge. <laughs> salmon is in the, the fish, uh, the, the delicious fish we're, we're familiar with. And uh, uh, McKillop points out that, okay, in addition to this, the salmon has plenty of mystical connotations, uh, in part due to uh, its observed leaping out of the water. So it, it, it wasn't a stretch to think there might be something magical about a salmon. Uh, it's not like uh, an inherently uh, secular animal or mundane <laughs> animal. It is one that, uh, that, that already has all these various uh, mystical connotations. And, uh, and so it, it makes sense that it might play into such a story. Rob, can I reveal, though, when I was trying to see, okay, are there other magical salmon out there? So I Google the phrase magical salmon, mm-hmm. and uh, the first result is, of course, Chef Paul Prudhomme's Salmon Magic <laughs> Seasoning Blend. There you go. <laughs> um, I'm sure it was a magical um, uh, recipe that that he uh, he earned by catching a magical fish, um, because uh, that's, that's, that's basically what we have going on here. So... The story goes that you have a druid by the name of uh, Finnegus who lives on the banks of a river, and he has long waited for and and, uh, and intends to catch the salmon of knowledge. Uh, there are other versions of the story that say that he's he's camping out at a waterfall, or that there's some sort of a you know some sort of a, an underground uh, uh, reservoir sort of situation going on. But the idea is that at some point. This, uh, this marvelous salmon is going to present itself, and if the druid can catch it, he can eat it, and he can gain all of that wonderful wisdom for himself. Now, is it ever explained how he knows that the salmon, the salmon of knowledge will give him all this wisdom, or is that just, he, is just something he knows? Well, there are a few different. Um, uh, there's at least one really good uh, uh, story behind behind this, and this is account. This is an account uh, mentioned by Patricia Monaghan in uh, uh, Celtic mythology and folklore. Uh, according to this author, the fish is sometimes identified as Fenton, a bard who lived many lifetimes in many incarnations. Thus, he has all of this accumulated knowledge. And in this incarnation, he just happens to be a salmon. And so I guess, you know, through the druidic arts, this particular druid knows, hey, uh, I can catch him this time. And if I eat him, I'll gain all of that knowledge. So it makes sense. It's it's literally that I'm going to eat your brains and gain your knowledge logic. Right. Well, you know, but not maybe not the brains. Maybe just all that delicious. Uh, <laughs> maybe I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if you have to eat like absolutely all of the fish, or you have to eat the brain. But you're already cooking a salmon, so you might as well make a meal out of it. I don't know. Uh, well, I, actually, I guess <laughs> as as we'll as we're about to learn, uh, it, it's not just the brains, and in fact, it, okay. it may be a little more subtle than that. Because what it, what apparently happens is uh, the druid finally succeeds in catching it after waiting for it for seven years, which. Uh, incidentally, it's been seven years since Finn McCool was born, and seven-year-old Finn McCool is hanging out there at the Druid camp with him, and uh, you know he's shadowing him, uh, you know as you do. And uh, so uh, Finnegus, he's caught the salmon, he's overjoyed, so he starts cooking the salmon, puts it on a spit, uh, it's roasting there, and uh, Finn's trying to help out, and he accidentally burns his thumb on the cooking fish. And what does he do? What do you do when your, your thumb is, uh, is, is burnt? Well, you immediately seek to soothe that pain by thrusting your thumb into your mouth. And Finn does just this. And when he does, he inherits the power of the salmon before the old druid even gets a shot at it. So it's the oil from the salmon that contains the knowledge. 
you, you it's not eat your brains and gain your knowledge it's eat your omega 3s and gain your knowledge right right now in some variations however he gains he said to gain the power of divination by eating magical hazelnuts or he gains it from the salmon because the salmon ate magical hazelnuts uh, there's also one version in which he enters a fairy mound. Uh, fairy mounds are these uh, circular ancient dwellings, uh, uh, you know, from from, uh, from ancient Ireland that were later associated with supernatural tales and you know stuff like the Tuatha Dé Danann. And uh, so, anyway, he he enters a fairy ground. He gains the magical ability from three fairy women he encounters there. But then, as he's leaving, he accidentally smashes his thumb in the door of the fairy mound. Ooh. But it seems like the, the, the fish version of the story, the salmon of knowledge, is the primary uh, tale. Uh, it's the, the, the most popular. Now, it, it's often stated that it's not just putting the thumb in his mouth that uh, sets off the, the divination trance, but that Finn also has to recite uh, a, a kind of poetic chanting incantation um, called the, I think I'm probably pronouncing this wrong, but the Tinim Ladia. Uh, Leda. Uh, and and uh, this also may have some connection to hazelnuts, according to McKillop in the, the Dictionary of Celtic Mythology. Uh, McKillop adds that the thumb allowed him to enter, quote, and I love this, an altered visionary state in which he could see past, present, and future. In which he could see present. Wow. I mean, that that is a real... Well, maybe maybe it means he could see all of the present, like yes. things that he are not present with him at the present, or to see the present clearly. I don't know. Mm. There's another interesting wrinkle here. Uh, the Celtic languages and literature professor uh, Patrick K. Ford suggests that one connection here may be that the old Irish word for thumb was ordu, which may also signify a morsel, uh, particularly a morsel of meat that you would you know consume. And McKillop points out that uh, that the consumption of a morsel of magical flesh is a common folkloric motif. So if I'm to understand this correctly, uh, the interpretation would mean that Finn's morsel slash thumb becomes the sacred flesh by coming into burning contact with the cooking sacred fish of the Salmon of Wisdom. Uh, but is it also suggesting that there may possibly have been the kind of semantic contagion in the evolution of this story where originally the story was about eating a magical morsel of meat, but because you can use the same word for morsel uh, of meat and thumb that it came to represent a thumb in later tellings? Yeah, that's absolutely the sense I'm getting from this. Yeah, so uh, we have uh, you know a semantics and linguistic uh, uh, shift going on here. Uh, in addition to just a you know a cool story of of magic fish consumption. Oh, this is great because I'm imagining other variations of of that kind of uh, evolution of a story, like the uh, the the thumb slash morsel makes sense because like a little morsel of meat that might be about the size of your thumb. Uh, but there are other ways that we use body parts to measure quantities in reality. Like I'm thinking of uh, people who would say, "Hey, I want two fingers of whiskey in the glass." Yeah, yeah. So you could have a story about somebody who drinks a magical draft of something, they get two fingers of it, but then in later tellings, it gets confused. And it's like, well, yeah, they, they drank their own fingers, and then they gained this power. Yeah, you could have like a, a, a sort of a Popeye-esque character. If he, has, if he sticks two fingers in his, in his mouth, then he gets mm -hmm. all riled up and is ready to fight. <laughs> Puts him into a drunken, brawling state. So, as, as we'll discuss, the, the thumb pops up in a few other places, uh, but it's largely thought to be quite emblematic of Finn McCool, uh, his only real defining feature in iconography. I think sometimes there 
are hounds or dogs that are associated with Finn McCool. Uh, oh, yeah. But um, but the thumb especially is something where if, you know historians and uh, art historians are looking at, at various uh, images. If they see the thumb uh, being you know uh, poked towards the mouth, they can they can generally say with some certainty that this must be Finn McCool. And I haven't found an example of this online or in uh, the books I was looking at, but apparently many Celtic crosses have uh, various figures in the design. And sometimes you'll see uh, this, uh, this thumb uh, uh, brandishing Finn McCool characters pop up or it's assumed that it's Finn McCool because who else would it be? Um, uh, so if, if you've, if you've never, if you can't imagine what a, a Celtic cross tends to look like, they tend to be, you know, be a cruciform shape, but then with all of these kind of uh, compartments for further illustrations and symbols. Now, how is it the thumb is usually emphasized in this iconography? Is it like glowing or something, or is he sucking it? Is it in his mouth? Um, like I say, I couldn't find a, a direct example of this that stood out to me, uh, but I, I just uh, they're, they're going to be smaller figures, and they're mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to it's going to be necessarily obvious uh, that like the thumb is glowing or anything, but just by by virtue of having some sort of emphasis on the thumb and a visible thumb uh, or even a thumb in the mouth, it's going to be pretty obvious that it's Finn McCool. Mm. Now, this is not related to the thumb, but just as a, a quick side note, on you mentioned that some uh, stories of Finn McCool emphasize his dogs. I, I was reading a few of those. There, there are actually some really great dog buddy uh, uh, legends of, of Finn, and uh, one of them is about how he uh, how he gains a wife who is a a person who, or I think she's like a fairy. Uh, but in any case, she's transformed into a fawn by an evil wizard, and uh, and he finds her by by virtue of the fact that he's out with his hunting dogs. And when he comes across this fawn, his dogs don't go after the fawn to, and like attack it, but instead settle down and cuddle with it. And so <laughs> then uh, he he brings the fawn back with him to his to his castle. And uh, once they arrive there, the fawn turns into this woman who becomes his wife. Uh, but then, unfortunately, she is she is uh, tricked and stolen away by the evil wizard again. Interesting, interesting. Uh, now, in, in terms of other uh, accounts of thumbs in, uh, in, in, in Celtic mythology, uh, I did run across another interesting example. And this was... Uh, this is from the uh, 92 or 93 Nordic Celtic Legend Symposium, an article by Rianach Ogan titled Music Learned from the Fairies. And uh, according to the author here, there, there are many tales of mortals learning the music of fairy folk, music from beyond our world. And usually they learn it by hearing it in just the right place at just the right time. Uh, you know, something like, a, like ancient ruins, strange rocks in the wor- woods, you know, the sort of place that fairies might appear or hang out. Um, and uh, such was also uh, around the, the time of Solon. Uh, like this is a time of the year when the, the veil is thin between our world and the next. And there's at least one account uh, in uh, in Celtic tradition of a man hearing fairy music. He's, uh, he's you know he hears it in the, the woods or wherever. And what does he do? He sticks his thumb in his mouth whilst hearing the music, and as a result, he remembered the music. Mm. And of course, this this calls to mind Finn McCool. Interesting. I mean, what does that suggest about uh, our intuitions about the power of sucking a thumb? That it, like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> that that mm-hmm. it it has some kind of uh, grounding power that it can like cause you to uh, to sort of like hold fast against uh, maybe uh, currents of magic or forgetfulness that would otherwise wash away the memory. 
Well, yeah, this is a great question because I guess on one hand, let's let's start by let's go ahead and assume that that sticking your thumb in your mouth actually doesn't ha- have any uh, effect on uh, you know your 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 memory or your you know your 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 stress level or anything like that. Um, it does make you wonder if there is if there's something culturally in place where. Uh, where just the idea of sticking your thumb in your mouth is like a novel thing that is done uh, that is, that is associated with insight. Um, I, I wonder if it is the kind of thing where you could stick your thumb in your mouth thinking about this tradition and it would actually help you remember something better uh, because it's also like that thing I heard while I was sticking my thumb in my mouth. Oh, that's interesting. In fact, that even connects to a, a mnemonic device I've, I've heard of before, which is... Uh Basically, like if if suddenly something happens and you want to remember it very well, you should do something really weird immediately <laughs> so that you like form a link in your mind between that weird, memorable thing you did and uh, and and whatever thing it is you're trying to remember. Interesting. Now, uh, of course, the, the thing is, with when it comes to thumb sucking, uh, it doesn't seem to be just a, a completely neutral um uh, gesture, if you will, uh, and we actually have quite a lot of uh, of research out there on thumb sucking, particularly as it relates to children. Right. So I was actually reading a brief article in a pediatric medicine journal reviewing the existing literature on thumb sucking as of 2008. So this article was called Thumb and Finger Sucking by Lynn Davidson in the journal Pediatrics in Review. Again, this was the year 2008. And a few major takeaways from this brief write-up. Uh, number one is that different studies across time have found some some different rates of the prevalence of thumb-sucking or finger-sucking. A lot of times these studies uh, just lump thumb and finger-sucking in together, so you're not necessarily getting a breakdown by which finger it is. But I think it is clear that thumbs are the most most common finger for uh, infants to suck. But older studies found rates in the range of 70 to 90% of children showing uh, thumb or finger sucking behaviors. And more recent studies have found rates more like 30% by the end of the first year after birth, uh, along with 40% using a pacifier. Though with that 30 to 40%, I don't know if that's an either-or situation or an and situation. Do some children suck thumb and a pacifier? I, I'm not sure. Hmm. I don't, I don't have a lot of direct uh, experience with that. But I mean, I, I guess in some cases you're going to have a situation where the child is gravitating towards sucking on, on digits and you want to get a pacifier in there instead. And you're like, here, here, use this instead. Anyway, there, there's some variations on these rates uh, with the, the, within the first few years of life, but Davidson writes that by the time most children reach the age of four, uh, the, these rates have gone way down on average. Uh, only 12% of children in one study uh, sucked a finger, including a thumb, by the age of four, and pacifier use had gone down to 4% by that time. Now, here's something I thought was interesting. Apparently, during the first few months of life, infants are most likely to suck their thumbs during sleep, but by the end of the first year, more infants do it while awake. There were no differences in rates of thumb-sucking prevalence by sex, and uh, oh, and I thought this was interesting. Up to 50% of children who suck their thumbs or fingers also tend to hold a special object while doing so. Mm, this is yeah, sort of the classic. I I, I have sucked my, my my thumb or my fingers, and I have to hold on to a, a special blanket or a special stuffy, that sort of thing. Yeah, 
Uh, now, there have been a number of historical explanations for thumb sucking. Uh, uh, one that must be cited, unfortunately, is Freud. Freud, being Freud, believed it to be an expression of what he called, quote, infantile sexuality, and that when it persisted beyond infancy, it was a symptom of emotional disturbance. Uh, obviously, Freudianism held a lot of sway for a while, despite it being profoundly weird and not actually being subject to empirical testing. Uh, but there are some more recent theories that seem better grounded in experimental research, and they generally suggest that um, thumb-sucking grows out of instinctual behaviors in infants, that sucking behaviors are a, a universal instinctual behavior in newborns that they use for breastfeeding or bottle feeding, and that after that, for some reason— in some children, this instinctual behavior continues beyond the point of nutritional relevance, and the instinctual behavior might be reinforced through conditioning, and in some cases it just continues with a substitute such as a thumb or a finger. I don't know if there is a good agreed-upon answer as to why this reinforced behavior would be continued in some children but not others, like what makes the difference? I'm not sure. However, it uh, might be informative to note that some studies have found that thumb-sucking appears to be especially common when children are bored, tired, or anxious, and this suggests that it plays some kind of self-soothing role. Yeah, and I was finding some, uh, some evidence to back this up as well. Uh, there's a 2015 article published in Minerva uh, Pediatrica, uh, they concluded that, quote, a thumb-sucking subject puts the thumb in the mouth to stimulate the nasal palatal receptors of trigeminus and obtain muscular balance and a release of physical and psychological tension. Now, th that's also interesting when you, when you think about the, okay, we have Finn McCool doing this as an adult. You can certainly find adult thumb-suckers who speak to the calming effects of the practice. Um, so I, I wonder if it is too much of a stretch to imagine an Irish warrior of old who, you know, just, you know he's, he's this wonderful hunter and warrior and all this, but he needs to calm down uh, every now and then and this stressful role in society. Uh, and if you're going to ponder an important decision, uh, you need to reach a place of relative uh, peace and perhaps placing his thumb inside of his mouth uh, allows him to do so. And, and, and maybe uh, you end up... Um, uh, seeing the creation of magical explanations for what's going on here, as opposed to just saying, well, he never quite stopped th sucking his thumb uh, when he's nervous or stressed. Oh, man, that would be an amazing origin story. Yeah, so it begins with this beast of a warrior, great hunter, you know, blow the hunting horn, I will defend the shores of Ireland, but I also suck my thumb. And uh, and people are like, why is he sucking his thumb? And somebody else is like, well, it's what he does when he needs to, you know, uh, see into the future. Yeah. Now, another possible connection I was thinking about, a related connection anyway, uh, sometimes there's more stress placed on the idea that Finn is placing his thumb behind his upper teeth. And, of course, thumb-sucking itself impacts the palate. I was reminded of traditions in meditation that you encounter in which one is asked to hold the tip of one's tongue to the roof of the mouth. Uh, sometimes this is described in terms of, you know, of course, bodily energy flow. Uh, other times it's just being a way of, a, of altering the flow of saliva in the mouth, though it is sometimes described as a way of eliminating negative thoughts or even a way of sort of weeding out speech-based thoughts. Well, and I, I'd wonder if, you know, 
any kind of meditative practice that involves uh, unusual activities with the body is essentially just trying to uh, trying to direct your concentration away from the sort of default mode flow of of thoughts that are, that arise uh, normally. If if you're thinking about doing a sort of strange repetitive action with your body, you're probably less inclined to start thinking about oh man, next Thursday I really you know. yeah yeah exactly. Um, so I, I feel like that is I couldn't find any like real research on this, and perhaps I'm missing something, but. Um, it, 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 this seems plausible to me. Like if there was some sort of like ritual, uh, I mean, we see in meditation, this is a, a ritual touching of something to the roof of your mouth that is then associated, uh, with, um, with some degree of, uh, anxiety relief and some degree of relaxation. Uh, we, we see some evidence to support the idea that, um, uh, that thumb sucking itself uh, can reduce anxiety, uh, and then we have this idea too that just sort of novel behaviors and rituals of relaxation, uh, rituals of grounding, uh, can can very much be uh, be helpful. I'm not advising anybody to take up sucking of the thumb uh, as a, as a, as a way to try and uh, you know find balance or to see into the future, uh, but uh, I feel like there is some there's some interesting uh, leads here to potentially pull on to tr- sort of try and make sense of. Of where this may come from, and uh, and and how such a uh, either it, at the very least such a myth comes together, but but also the possibility that this is something that had could have been practiced to some limited degree uh, in uh, you know in in Ireland of old. Yeah. Oh, oh, also, another note. Yes, yeah, so we we we're not encouraging thumb sucking uh, for adults, especially because that can cause dental problems if if you're uh, doing chronic thumb sucking after the baby teeth have have been right. replaced. Yeah, that's the that's of course the the, the prime reason that uh, that adults uh, discourage the act and want to to uh, wean kids away from the sucking of fingers and thumbs because yeah, once the baby teeth are gone, you got the adult teeth going in. Uh, you can you can jack up those adult teeth uh, by continually pre- pressing the thumb up there into the palate. It seems like the methods used to discourage thumb sucking and, and train children not to do it have become more humane over time. Because I was reading about some of the older methods people used to try to, you know, get their kid to get the thumb out of the mouth, and it it it, it was brutal. Like one was uh, about these ideas of having the sharp implements put on the backs of the teeth that would like cause mm. pain in the thumb. Have you read about mm. this? Yeah, yeah, I think I've heard about that before. Um, yeah, obviously that does not sound good. Or of course, uh, putting putting noxious uh, chemicals or something on the thumb. Yeah, I, I think I think people have better methods now. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the interesting things we talked about this idea of uh, the, the thumb sucking being, uh, you know, uh, the thumb in the mouth being kind of an island uh, for this mythology of Finn McCool, and certainly, uh, again, it is a defining uh, one of the defining factors of this this particular hero. Uh, but you do see thumb su- sucking, thumb in the mouth motifs popping up with some other uh, heroes, particularly uh, a few examples that have come to mind include uh, um, Sigurd, the the hero. There actually, I saw a, an image of him uh, that uh, it's like a, a carving and you see him with thumb in the mouth. Uh, so that seems to be very much related uh, to what we're looking at here. Uh, another hero uh, that we see lined up with the thumb is Taliesin. So there seems to be some connection between Finn McCool and these heroes as well. Yeah, McKillop notes in his book that there was a, a controversial suggestion by Robert Graves that uh, that Heracles or Hercules, the, the Greek hero, was associated with the thumb in the same way that Achilles is associated with the heel, kind of these mm. body parts that are emblematic of the person. 
but McKillop brings that association up specifically in the context of it of it being kind of kind of doubtful. Now, outside of these these three heroes, uh, I wasn't really, really finding much that, uh, that that even resembled Finn McCool. But there is uh, an interesting thumb sucking bit of uh, myth making that po- pops up in Hindu traditions in the Hindu epic, the Mahabharata. There's the story of King uh, Yuvanashva who apparently has trouble conceiving a child with any of his concubines, and so he winds up drinking a magic potion that makes him pregnant. Uh, so uh, when this occurs, uh, his, uh, you know, he realizes, well, there are some, some additional problems now that I have to deal with. Uh, so he turns to the divine physicians, and they cut open his thigh so that he can actually give birth to the baby. But then, how is he to nourish the child? Well, then we have uh, uh, Indra, the, the king of, uh, of Devas, to cut open his thumb. And this allows milk to leak forth from the thumb so that he can nurse his infant son in this manner. And this is why the story goes that babies sometimes suck their thumbs. Wow, interesting. Yeah. No direct connection between this and Finn McCool, but just another kind of cool uh, thumb-sucking mythology to, uh, to reference here. The more I think about the idea of a of a thumb sucking warrior action hero, the more I love it. Like I, I want to see a movie like this, or it doesn't have to be thumb sucking. It could also be, um, you know, your your great warrior, great swinger of the sword, like has a blankie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had. Uh, let's see, who was the Telly Savalas character? That was it, Kolchak, uh, Kojak, that uh, that had the, uh, the 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 sucker. Like that was his whole thing, right? Oh, lollipops. Uh, the yeah. lollipop, yeah. Uh, that's not too far removed from it. I cannot do detective until I get my lolly. Yes. <laughs> well, Rob, I have greatly enjoyed this journey into Finn McCool. Yeah, this one has been a lot of fun. Like I say, I, I wasn't super familiar with Finn McCool uh, prior to this, and I certainly uh, had, had somehow skipped over or forgotten anything about uh, the thumb of knowledge. So this was, uh, this was a fun journey into uh, Irish mythology. Uh, always fun to do that around this time of year. You know, on previous episodes of the show, we have talked about our love for the uh, the Time Life Enchanted World books that were mm-hmm. uh, fabulously advertised on TV commercials with Vincent Price, where, you know, he's, I, I love to curl up with a good book. Did his yes. eyes glow green in those commercials? I think so. <laughs> um, <laughs> they may have. Well, a couple of the volumes of the Time Life Enchanted World uh, have stories of Finn McCool, and they're you know what I gotta say. By and large, those books are really good. They're good syntheses of their sources, and uh, and pretty well written. Much better than you would expect for something that was advertised on TV that way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm actually reading through the Dragon volume from that collection right now with my son. And uh, there are some sections of it that I feel like are a little a little wordier than they need to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, we're having a lot of fun with it. You have the longer sections, the shorter sections. You have this wonderful mix of um, original artwork as well as traditional artwork mm-hmm. to uh, to illustrate these tales. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're a lot of fun. Do you, do you have them all, Joe? It was a wonderful gift from my wife. Rachel got me the the complete Time Life Enchanted World collection. Oh, nice. It's something yeah. like 20-something volumes, all told, right? Uh, that might be about right. I haven't read them all yet. I've So the stories about Finn McCool are in the ones called Acts of Valor or maybe Tales of Valor. This is the one with Valor in the title and then the one called Fabled Lands. 
Yeah. Okay. I have one of those, but not the other. I, uh, for the longest, I just, I kind of assumed that I had the full collection that uh, had been gifted to me from uh, an aunt when I was a child. Uh, but I've come to realize, oh, I don't have them all. So, um, <laughs> Uh, like just the other day as we were recording this, I was looking in, oh, which I was looking at like, okay, which ones do I not have that I really should have? And I noticed that I had two of the black books, but not the third. So I, I immediately had to order that one up. One of the great things about these books is that I guess they were just so mass produced. You can pick these volumes up for, you know, for reasonable sums. Uh, you know, sometimes you'll find ones even like dirt cheap. Uh, so there, there are plenty, there's plenty of enchanted world to go around if anyone's interested. I'm incredibly proud of my Enchanted World collection. It's a, it's a treasure. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and uh, close it out here. And I, and I guess we wish everybody a St. Patrick's Day while we're at it. Uh, but we'd love to hear from everyone out there. We'd love to hear from uh, Irish folk and non-Irish folk alike um, regarding <laughs> these, uh, these myths, these, uh, these tales, uh, you know, thumbs in the mouth, thumb sucking in general, uh, or even just uh, Enchanted World book chat. Uh, what's your favorite volume? Uh, did you have these growing up, uh, or did you just want them? Uh, have you uh, have you rect- rectified this in your adult life, etc.? Uh, just let us know. We'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, you can find core episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind on Tuesdays and Thursdays in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. On Mondays, we do Listener Mail. On Wednesdays, we do an artifact or a monster fact. The one we did this week is, uh, is also uh, Irish-themed. And then on Fridays, we set most serious matters aside, and we just talk about a strange film. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 